And now a moment to talk about my Earwolf sibling show, Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast. You might know Gilbert Godfrey from being, oh, I don't know, the voice of that bird in Aladdin. Why can't I remember the bird's name? It's Iago. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that made me laugh. I've got it solved now. But he also uh, has a great podcast. He's got celebrity friends like Patton Oswalt, Judd Apatow, Weird Al, Ira Glass, onto his podcast to talk about show business legends, stories from the road, and much more. This week, they have a really special episode with Alan Alda. Alan Alda, you know, like from MASH. Jesus, I shouldn't have to tell you who Alan Alda is. Check out new episodes of Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast every Monday wherever you listen, like Stitcher or Adbull Podcasts. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving, if that's something that you celebrate. Also, just want to say... You can go still check out my new special, Rape Jokes, at CameronEsposito.com. So far, over $85,000 raised. All of it goes to Rain, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. I appreciate so much all the support. It's still free, and you can still donate, um, and all money will be passed on to Rain. Okay, today's episode. I love this conversation. I had a chance to talk with Wade Davis, who is a motivational speaker and also a former pro football player. Yeah, he played for, like, the Titans and the, well, team from Washington. Anyway, I really love this chat. Like, I really did. This is a a cool dude. Um, I hope that you love it. And, uh, Wade, if you're listening, God, it was a pleasure speaking to you, and I hope to see you soon. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still Oh, so anyway, I always have folks on the podcast introduce themselves. You look good, first of all. I tried. This you is know. an audio only. I know, but but there'll be a photo, and also this. I'm I'm taking it that this is for me. It's always <laughs> so. Thank you. How could it not be? You look really nice. Thank you. But yeah, would you introduce yourself? I'm Wade Davis. Um, what, what else should I say about myself? I just like hearing what people do. You know, like because because wow. when they introduce themselves, I feel like it's. So I think it's hard to describe what I do. Um, I would say I am a diversity and inclusion advisor and consultant for, so I consult at Google, I consult at Netflix, I consult at the NFL. I do a lot of executive coaching, trying to help leaders um, learn how to be better in, in environments that have historically been all white and male, you know, trying to get them to flex their leadership style to meet the needs of a more diverse employee set. I write. I do a lot of public speaking. And I talk shit, too. You know, it just <laughs> depends on the audience. Yeah. And I want to talk also a little bit about your background. Like, why why are you somebody that gets to go and speak to folks at the NFL, for instance? Like, any, any particular Perfect. reason? Because I played in the NFL. That's one reason. Uh, that's one reason. Uh, I think the other reason is that um, I've figured out maybe not perfectly, but pretty effectively how to talk to men about issues of sexism and homophobia in ways that they feel as if they're not being judged, but that they are allowed to grow and expand in the conversation and and that they want to come back for more. Oh my God. Yes. First of all, yes. I love that. Um, 
I mean, thanks for doing that work. I try. Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to be good right? at talking to men. Yeah, yeah. Who is that person? <laughs> uh, but also, so I want to. So you you played in the NFL, mm -hmm. and um, can you tell me a little bit about your career there? Yeah, so I played from 2000 to 04. I played for the Tennessee Titans, the Seattle Seahawks, and the team from Washington. Mm. I spent a year in NFL. Thank you Europe. for saying that. Great job. <laughs> I, I feel you, and you're, yep, keep going. I spent a year, well, 11 weeks in NFL Europe in Barcelona, and then also a year in Berlin. And then I retired in 2004, and then I moved back to Colorado. Which is not where you live now, because now you live in New York City? Yeah, so I went to high school in Colorado. So I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. I spent most of my adolescence in Shreveport, Louisiana, and then I went to high school in Colorado. When did you know that you, were you getting feedback the whole time that you were like a gifted athlete? Was that something that you knew from a young age? Uh, I knew I was, gift, I was gifted from a mental standpoint, right? So um, I used to watch the game of football and I could just turn on the TV and I could literally call what play was going to happen next as a really young kid. Um, so I think I, I understood the strategy of the game. Like, so I watch the game of football very weirdly. Like, I am trying to see what the offense is trying to impose on the defense and vice versa. And then once you can understand that magic, you can understand, like, almost what's going to happen next. That I could do from a young age. And then I became, uh, how would I say, um, desperate to be a better athlete. Mm. And I had just enough talent that I could grab onto and tap into to make myself good enough as an athlete that came close to matching what I think from an intellectual uh, stamp standpoint that I had just naturally. That's really interesting. I've never heard anybody say that about, um, well, I mean, specifically, I guess, also team sports. Because yeah. like individual sports, I think we, or at least I think of that as being like a much more yeah, uh, like it's like you're. It's so mental to keep yourself yeah. swimming or whatever when you're just when you're just like in the pool by yourself. Um, but that's really cool that it that that was your experience. I think most people don't realize the um, intellectual capacity you have to have to make it in pro sports, no matter what this the sport is, and specifically oh, sure. football. Yes, you know one of the one of my ins insecurities is that people only think I'm an athlete, and when they only think I'm an athlete, they don't think that I'm actually intelligent, right? Because our definitions of intelligence are very narrow and small, and they typically fit into the boxes that say like MIT and Stanford mm -hmm. and, and all those places. So. I do have some level of insecurity about this idea that I am just an an, an athlete, um, and I'm working on realizing that that's not my shit. That that's some that's someone else's challenge that I don't have to hold on to. Well, also physical intelligence is so real. I mean, like, so you're saying that you you know mentally un understood yeah. the game, and that's one thing. But then on top of that. You know, so like underestimating somebody because of a skill that they have yeah. under assuming that's all they are. Like, that's one thing. Yeah. Um, of course, there's also I think. I mean, you can't I don't know that you could divorce that from racism. Also, when we're talking about oh, yeah. pro sports. There is definitely the that. Component. I mean, I just don't think that it's no, even it's possible impossible. to talk about something like the NFL and be like there. You know, there's implicit bias based on the fact that like it's mostly black men. So we think, you know, these are these are people who had to survive using their mm -hmm. bodies. And it turns out in this country, that's that's what we've uh, thought about black people for the whole time. Yes. So, um, you since know, we got here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Anyway, so um, I think there's that too. But then on top of that, you know, physical intelligence is also a real thing. Like knowing how to use your body in a way that other people don't is also really beautiful. And it's weird because it, sometimes it feels like we have this really strong sense of pride. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if the Olympics is on, we're just like, that's us. Like we are all Michael Phelps. Like we are all Simone Biles. Like, I'm like him, yeah. this is Get me him. out there, you know? Yeah. But then, you know, we ignore that the rest of our lives and just like sit at our desks and try to divorce ourselves from yeah. our bodies, you know, but, <laughs> but not when it's like this moment of, uh, you know, this intense national pride. So I wouldn't, you know, there's also, I want to also say that, like, even if, no. even if somebody isn't particularly gifted in like a test taking, yeah, like the yeah. ways that we. Stereotypical to think of it. Yeah. You know, so I, my best friend in, in the whole world, Michael Jennings, um, he is the reason I made it to the NFL, actually. So Michael Jennings was the best athlete on my high school team. And my high school had the very first person ever on the cover of Sports Illustrated, like for, from, from a high school standpoint. So I went to a badass high school. Wow. Yeah. And Michael was better than everyone, yet he still worked harder than everyone. And I didn't get it. I was just like, wow. Like, I've never... So most people like who are just naturally gifted, you think that they don't work hard. Right. But then I learned from him is that that means you actually have to work harder because there's an expectation that you have set to the world mm-hmm. that um and and that's part of what what drove him. And then I remember um I went off to college and he went off to Texas A&M and we would come back and train and he would literally beat the shit out of my body. You know, like I remember one time he used to, so a football field is kind of a, you know, I, um, Jesus, and a, a horizontal, what that, what shape is that, Jesus? It is a rectangle. A rectangle, <laughs> wow, yes, it's a rectangle shape. <laughs> but even shape. I was like, what, what, what should I exactly, say? Right? It's turf, it's covered in turf. I was yeah. trying to like get there the with shape. you. The shape, I was like, to, I was yeah, like it's, no, it's horizontal yeah. and vertical, but yeah. it's more, yeah. yeah. So um, a rectangle, and he would make me backpedal from one corner to the other, across the middle of the field, scraping my hands on the ground. Just running backwards now. And then you'd sprint, you know, from the short side of the field. And then you would do that all over again. And then I remember I threw up one time and he looked at me and he was like, are you done? And I was like, yeah. He was like, good, because we have four more. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, this man is like crazy. But he taught me what it took to work out. And he, he also taught me a valuable lesson that a coach once told me as well. He said, um, anyone works hard when someone's watching them. Everyone. Mom, dad, coach. But what are you going to do when no one's watching you? Can you push your body? Can you push your mental capacities to that level when no one's watching you? That's when you know that this is something that you deeply enjoy and that you have a have a desire to be great in. Yeah. I mean, all of that is, you know, I should say, I kind of understand. Look, this is not, I'm not, <laughs> I was a big jock in high school. I played like three sports and okay. everything and I played rugby in college, but I was like, bad. I just had a lot of heart. I wasn't mm. bad. I just yeah. wasn't like, I wasn't the star of the team, but I was the captain because I was like the most charismatic, like that guy, like, <laughs> yeah. you know who I'm talking about. But um, my high school boyfriend, who like I did it for the whole time, I did it from a lot in, in uh, college too, prior to realizing that I was queer, um, was the the best athlete in our school, okay. like that guy, you know, where he's, yeah. he just was extra, extremely gifted from a physical standpoint. So he was and you kind of despise him a little bit. You know, I actually, I mean, for me, I wasn't in competition with him, gotcha, you know, yeah. like I think maybe it would be different if this was, but um, like he played offense, defense, special teams. He never, he didn't sit out for a single play, which is like, it turns out actually not like this great from not like good, a health no. standpoint. Yeah. Um, But they just were like, well, 
Put if you don't play, yeah. then we don't win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I and I that's why I feel like I have this like respect for physical intelligence that is just a little bit because I just you know you're such a young age and there's so much judgment going on in high school and I know what people thought of him, which you know is like this. I mean, he's just like super jock, so yeah. we know what all those things are. But but just like seeing how hard he would work and also that like his body just worked. In a different, in an exceptional way, and so he was just doing his best to. Like, I think use I taught my body to how to be exceptional. It wasn't born exceptional, uh-huh. you know. Like uh, so, that's more me. You're like a you're a, you're yeah, a hard guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like um, and you also learn there's certain things that you can do to. You. So I knew that the stronger my legs got, the faster I was going to run. You know, and I was like, wow, okay, I'm squatting 400 pounds now, and now I'm able to run faster than those other guys because somehow their legs were stronger than mine when we were younger. And now that I got my legs to that strength, oh, okay. You know, so I, so yes, I Man, was. you really, all, yeah, it's all, you're breaking it down. That's yeah, how, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, it's, a t- it's like a checklist. Enough to, to lie that clearly I did have some genetic gifts, right? That I just had to. I'm assuming to, that to, about <laughs> To elevate them a little <laughs> bit, bit, yeah. bit more. But I'm telling you, in high school, I was probably like our 15th best player. Okay, so high school, you're, a fi- you're the 15th best player. Is that true by the time you're graduating? Oh, yes. And then you go to college. What happens in college? So I went to a school called Weber State in Ogden, Utah. And um, my body physically caught up with my brain. And then my sophomore year, I was voted like, uh, like so in between my uh, freshman and sophomore year, I transferred to Weber State. And then I had to redshirt. So then during my redshirt, I was voted like, you know, like up and comer on the team. Got it. And then I was like, oh, shit, I just became the best person on our team. And you're like, oh, oh, oh okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that jump happened between, how old was I then? 18 and 19. Mm-hmm. I made a physical jump where I was working out hard. I was eating better. You you, you never eat right in college because you're a dumb kid, right? Um, but then my body just started to be able to do things that my brain wanted it to actually do. And then I became, you know, if not our best, you know, our top three best players. And so much pressure to be a student athlete. Like that is so much work. I don't, how did you, how did that feel for you? It was easy for me because I was trained by my mother that football, my mother did not care that I was a great athlete. Could could have cared less, you know, couldn't have cared less, right? Um, she never came to many of my games. She, and she would come to a track meet and be like, so you got third, so you want me to come so you can get third? All right, so she just didn't care. She was like, as long as your grades are above a 3-3, three, three, you can keep playing. I mean, that that's awesome. Yeah. I even mean, like, just from a time management perspective, you're 18 or 19 and you, like, have a full-time job plus you're also in school. So I, mean, I didn't have to work. No, but I mean, like, yeah, yeah. football is a full-time job. Yeah, yeah, you know, true, like, true. keeping your body in that so shape say something that's just probably didn't feel like dangerous. that for you. Probably saying it's a little dangerous, right? Um, me getting an A versus a, a person who, didn't, who wasn't on a full-ride scholarship, who had to have a job, you know, like working at, 7-Eleven or at a Gap or something and having to study doing all that, their their A costs more than my A. Okay. You know, because football, I really, really loved. I'm not sure anyone really, really loves working the overnight shift <laughs> at 7-Eleven, right, to make ends, ends meet. You know what I mean? You're so, an extremely so compassionate person. I think you're probably cost. right. Sure. There's a different cost, right? Like, yes, I had to wake up at 6 in the morning for my 7 o'clock class every day so I could be done by by like 12, Right. But then I was with my friends the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, we're like, like, 
that type of a job I would do the rest of my life and, and people would. But like when you're working at, you know, at the Gap, like you're not really having fun. You know what I mean? Like you'd love to walk out of there and be like, I never want to come back. I didn't want to walk out of the football. You know, I yeah. wanted to be there 24-7. That's what I mean. So, yes, I'm not... I don't want to undercut what athletes have to go through, but RA, if if you're on full ride scholarship, your housing, your tuition, your food, all that's paid for, it's a different A. And athletes should still be getting paid. So let me put that in there too. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't want someone to be like, you're talking about No, yeah, I hear no, that. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, th- I'm so glad you pointed that out because I think I was, you know, almost speaking from this like stereotype that is an old idea of yeah. what college is, which is like, very unrealistic to what it actually, you know, like yeah. this idea that it's like, oh, nobody's working in college. Everybody's going to school in their <laughs> jammies. And like, that's not true. Most people are going to graduate with crushing debt and they're working to like, you know, survive the entire time. So you're exactly right to like call me. I got me. your back. I got yeah, your back. you're like, that's not what college is. You seem to have forgotten. I'm like, no, you're right. I had a job in college. What am I talking about? But no, uh, yeah. I think that that also happens to us queer folk, right? Mm. So I was recently um, speaking at a college. I won't say it. And... When you have been out for, or let me use a different language, when when you have been open about your sexuality for a certain amount of time, I think you forget how hard it was. And then you expect younger folks to be out quicker or doing differently. And I'm, 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 and I'm like, no, you forgot that you were, were like this afraid kid who would have almost rather die than to tell someone that you like someone of the same sex. And now we're asking other queer kids to come out. You know, it's, it's kind of also why I really never liked the It Gets Better mm. slogan, you know, because I'm like, motherfucker, when? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just like, when? You know, like, because, you know, it's like the fierce urgency of now. Like, I wanted it to be better now. I wasn't young when the It's Get Better project came out, and not to discount it, I think, I think it does really great work. But if Im- imagine when you were trying to figure it out, and someone says, "Hey, it'll get better," you'd be like, "What? Don't tell me that!" Like, can you can 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 it be right tomorrow? <laughs> you know. And I think that we forget how hard, how debilitating and demoralizing uh, hating yourself was or is, and sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you're so right. I think that. You know, what's difficult, a a needle that we're always trying to thread and it is like such a narrow eye on that needle is, you know, okay, I need to tell folks that might not have a direct experience that there is a possible positive future. You know, like that's what that campaign provided. And especially like when it would have come out, there was that whole thing where like gay adults couldn't talk to queer kids because there's because you're trying to avoid um, people thinking you're recruiting children, which isn't <laughs> happening. So like like now this, we don't hear about this anymore. No, we hear about it for trans folks. Yeah. But that narrative was so dominant. that So like YouTube as um, an asset where it's like, I'm not talking to a young kid, but I'm like talking to a young kid. That was so effective and so important. But you are also so right because we live in this moment where I think it's it, it continues to be extremely important to show these like great moments in our lives, you know, to show like our partnerships or to show like um, our beauty, you know, like it's so important, but there's so much pressure on that, that often we don't get to be real people yeah, and we don't get to fail. But then we also don't get to talk about how, like, for instance, it's not like I don't still have fear about coming out. I'm on a plane. I'm sitting next to like some scary dude. He's watching Fox news. I'm there with like my short hair and like my (laughs) motorcycle jacket on. And I'm like, 
is he going to talk? You know, like I'm wearing my and noise canceling. they're talking canceling. to yeah. you a little bit and you're, and you're like, like, how do I? I don't want to. Partner. This is my partner. Yeah, so I get it. You know, and I, I feel like we don't talk about that. That burden is, I mean, at least now going to exist for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Maybe there will be something that changes and we won't have this like constant stress around coming out. But you're totally right. There's no, yeah, there is no finish line. And, and yeah, it would be nice if you could say like. <laughs> It's better now. I mean, that would be real nice. And so I don't know what we're, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. It's, I think it's always trying to put like, we need these examples. And then we also have to be honest about how much it sucks. Same fucking thing for any marginalized community right now. Like we need, we need, we need Barack Obama to be president. We need for that to have happened. And we also need to see photographs from Ferguson. Like both things need to exist. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting is that um, I think a lot about, when, when I'm on airplanes, because I fly a lot, you know, if not every week, every other week. And you're sitting by someone and they are generally being kind, right? And and it depends on my mood how much I'm going to engage someone sitting beside me. It just depends on my mood, right? And sometimes you're talking to someone and then you realize that they're about to ask the question that requires you to disclose mm-hmm. your sexual orientation. and um, And then you have to read the room. I, th- I feel like every marginalized person has the greatest environmental radar in the entire world. Like, we always know, like, eh, nope, not here or there, right? <laughs> That's true. And then sometimes though, I feel like a coward when I don't, you know? But then again, I'm just like, no, like, this is me trying to navigate risk. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for us, the statistics exist to back up yeah. our need to maintain our safety. But then there's also the emotional work that you have to do and like the feeling of shame. Like, so now you're on a plane going to your job and then you also have to feel shame or you also have to do education or you have to, you know. Turn your phone over so that your partner's yeah, not seen on the cover. Yeah, yeah, like X, Y, and Z. You know, like it's not it's not as easy as just like violence is a huge motivator, you know, reducing violence toward ourselves Mm. and like knowing when that's going to happen. But we also don't, again, to go, we always, we don't talk about these like little moments where you're just like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And it's, and I just, I just don't want you to smile at me in a weird way. You know, like I just don't want, I just, I don't want the questions. I don't want these tiny things. Yeah. I just don't want those things too. I don't want to hear about like your cousin. Yes. Like like, I'm sure you have a gay cousin, but I just don't want to hear about them right now. If there was one thing that I wish I could teach people is their one gay cousin or their (laughs) one black friend. I don't care. And that doesn't give you any social capital right now. You know, like, just be normal. And that will actually do a lot more. Like, yeah. there's nothing worse than when someone says, and my mother does this sometimes, and she's like, you know that gay guy at my job? I want you to meet him. And I'm like, actually, what <laughs> about everyone straight an, at your job? Is there you know? another reason? Is it just that? Is it, tell me any other, yeah. any other so I'll tell you a, awful, a funny story. So, um, I play in the New York Gay Flag League, right? And um, we have a tournament every year, and it moves around. And this last year it was in Denver. So all of my 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 teammates, we, you know, and, like, there's 40 places, like 40 different teams that are descending on Colorado. And I'm like, Mom, make food for all of my friends. We'll come over because my mom is an amazing cook, right? And then I was like, here's the menu, blah, 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 right? And then, um, so... I was like, all right, everybody's going to be at the house at around 7, so you can come watch us play a little bit, but make sure you're home at a, by, like, 4, so you can have all cooking done, right? So I, I, I beat her home, and I'm like, how is she going to cook all this food in one hour? And I'm like, nothing started, right? And then she gets home, and she's with this random kid. And I'm like, who? She's like, oh, it's so-and-so, you need to meet him. And I'm like, actually, I do not. And 
I'm reading the tea leaves like, oh, this is some kid who she believes is gay. And she thinks that I could be a good person for him to know. And I'm like, I get that, but not now. And ask me, right? Just do me the solid of just not introducing this random person into this moment where I have 20 of my friends there. And they're like, who's this white dude? Right? <laughs> right? I'm just like, I don't know either. So shit like that, I just, I, I, I want to kill myself. Not them, <laughs> kill me. So I don't have to go through that situation ever. I'm sure that, that that's happened to you. Yeah. I mean, it, Absolutely. Well, I'm in a little bit of a different situation because like, you know, part of my job is doing stand up and part of doing stand up is like uh, right now anyway, afterwards I do these um, meet and greets. And so it's really important to me to like meet as many audience members as I can. And sometimes it takes a very long time and I'm not like trying to be self-inflating. I mean, I've just spoken on stage for an hour Mm -hmm. and then sometimes the meet and greet will take like Sometimes an hour and a half. And you and you don't have anything left. Well, I also find that people kind of don't want to hear anything from me. And that's okay. <laughs> they just kind of want to give me stuff. And that's also, I'm like, I'm like fine with that. Like I'm there to hear you, not you. That's okay. I mean, like I said, I actually have signed up for this a little bit. Like you and I are in a little bit of different Are position. you an extrovert though? No, I'm an introvert. Like it's exhausting. But oh, okay. I but I feel like I knew I got to make some choices. Like so yeah, like yeah. you're talking about what you what you were talking about there is a moment where you didn't get to make a choice. I feel like I know the choices I made. So more often than not, like when something like that might happen, um I I feel like I like know what's going on and I'm there trying to be present. The one thing that is just uh hard is that like sometimes I'm a little tired and when you're meeting a bunch of people like I just I have to try so hard to make sure that my eyes are staying focused and that like my energy is still present mm-hmm. because it is not that I don't care about that person it's that you're doing a repetitive action and anytime you're doing repetitive action like when you're driving on the road for six hours and then you're just suddenly like mm-hmm. driving into yeah, oncoming you traffic something to add <laughs> to like, your mind to refocus yeah, you're yeah. Like, I gotta roll down the windows I gotta turn on the air, AC and I gotta pull over and get a coffee you know like <laughs> and sometimes that's just the zone of like um I feel like I'm I'm trying to figure out how to keep my energy so that I'm staying present for that person and then in that situation I like I'm fully signed up for it mm-hmm. so you're right that that now I'm imagining and this has happened too when you're like we you find yourself in that zone and it's b- by surprise like <laughs> at least then I know I'm like I know what I need to do I know how long it's gonna last I like can get some coffee right before yeah. you know like versus just like you know at your own house after a football yeah, is a different is a different one yeah. for that moment where you're like no so like, i'm role modeling right now like that's what yeah. i find my job to be exhausting sometimes and i also feel like oh my god i'm so lucky because i have a chance to talk about what's like how i feel about being mm-hmm. in the world especially for queer people right now or like anybody from marginalized communities like you're supposed to go to work when is the moment where you share your opinion on something and i guess it's social media but here's the thing about social media people can like jump in and then they then they put their shit on it. And now suddenly you're like, oh, now I have to address your shit. Like, so now my shit is actually stamped by you. Like you get the last word. So then that's when, you know, then that person is like, or maybe then their suddenly comment like gets ch- more likes than, yeah, than exactly. yours. And you're like, wait a minute, what I was saying was better. No, yeah, I totally no, get I it. know. So I just feel like we're like, that's how um, distant we actually are from each other. And that's how silenced we all are. I think that is our problem in the entire world is the distance. And I don't think that technology is helping that at all. So I am a believer that our lack of proximity, whether it's race, gender, orientation, or what have you, is the problem in our country um, because we don't know each other. You know, like I can't even remember the last time I sat in conversation with someone who was visibly differently abled. 
and actually like saw them beyond their ability and just saw them as a human being and was and was able to talk and empathize and have them see me and all these different things. And because we never have those experiences, we just live in a world of stereotypes. That's totally true. And then we also don't necessarily talk. I think one thing that prevents that is that the national dialogue or like the thing that uh, sort of culturally is sold to us is that um, diversity would be something we're giving up. I mean, especially, obviously this is like a white person narrative, yeah. but be, but it's taught to all of us. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's like coming from white people, but it's taught to all of us. Like the idea of, you know, listening to somebody from a different, from a different standpoint is like, like we talk about, for instance, affirmative action as something that's like, uh, making a community more just, but we don't necessarily talk about it as something that's like making a student body inherently better, which gotcha. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a it's diversity, a zero-sum game a di- for, of for, diversity for of, most folks. Exactly. Like yeah. a diversity of thought is actually um, the smartest you can be. Like if like you have, if you have a bunch of different mm-hmm. experiences and you have a, def- a bunch of different uh, vantage points, that's the smartest that like collective yeah. brain can be. But we talk about it like it's charity or, you know, like yeah. we talk about um, like the idea that a straight person will talk to a queer person like um, – like I guess I'm not disgusted or like you know what I mean or like or even the fact that we use words um like uh tolerate like yes. that, like I tol like I'm tolerant towards queer like people. I'm a mosquito or something yeah like that know. it wouldn't actually make your life as a straight person better and and here's I mean I can like here are some ways that it would if you were in a relationship and you're trying to figure out how to make that relationship better and you're a straight person would you consider uh going to the queer community because there are some some like stereotypes and some gender roles and stuff that at least we can like maybe provide some other options yeah. to I'm not saying we figured everything out but like if you want to know like how do I improve my sex life with my wife or whatever like maybe if you uh spoke to somebody who has sex that is just inherently from a place of greater equality <laughs> that doesn't have like some built-in hierarchy yeah, in it. like saying. you might learn something so i just feel like we talk about everything like it's like some straight person like doing like oh like for justice i'll have a queer friend it's like no man don't you want to like learn how to talk to chicks ask a lesbian like, so that is what my work is kind of inherently about is that specifically around gender equality right is that men benefit too Yes. That, but we don't even intellectually understand what what that means. You know, all that we hear, and I think this is this is what you're saying is like we look at it as a zero sum game. That if women start to become more equal, then men automatically have to lose. Right. Women didn't create that calculus. You know, what I mean, it's 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 our own fear that is the belief that if women get the sword, that they will use it against us. Women have never said that. Probably never even thought about it, but we know how awful we've been to to other women, mm-hmm. and it's just our fear mm-hmm. that we're going to turn that around. And I think the same thing goes for white people. It's like, all right, you know, there have been a history of of uh, discrimination, marginalization, and oppression happening, and if Blacks and Latinos, whatever, start to get in power, how are they going to treat us? Yeah, I mean, it's also like, I don't want to give up my money. Meanwhile, that's being said by, you know, a coal miner in West Virginia with no job security and not a lot of money coming in because the coal mine's closing. Like, so I just mean like, it's completely, the the logic isn't, it doesn't make sense at all. It's not borne out. Yeah. It doesn't make sense at all. like, Like, if you think about it, there should be no reason why a poor person should vote for Donald Trump. Absent of race. She just makes no sense at makes all. Makes no sense. 
Yeah. Yet it does happen because what they say is that at least I'm not black. Right. You know what I mean? And Donald Trump has tapped into that beautifully. You know, say what you want about Donald Trump. He is an evil genius. He's he an is, evil genius. He is uh he is perfect at what he's trying to do. He's perfect at it. Yeah. And, and I, it's I don't frustrating know how for someone who's not intelligent to be so good at that. You know? You know why? Because it's real for him. Yeah. Because he is he is playing on um I mean, that's what I think anyway. Like, these are all the ills that, like, he is literally, like, uh, what has emerged from, like, a boiling cauldron of, like, adding all of our ills (laughs) by, like, a team of... Takes some racism and some homophobia (laughs) and some sexism and and here you go. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, he's perfect at speaking to that because he he is that. Like, that's all... I think that's what I think anyway. I think he truly believes, like... He has earned everything he's gotten. For oh, instance. yeah. You know, like, I, I truly believe he... Do you believe that everything he says he believes? I think he doesn't think words matter. That's what I actually yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. I, because I think he's a, um immediate gratification guy. You know, oh, he's yeah. like a golden toilet guy, not like a retirement. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to be fine in retirement, but he's like buying the golden toilet now. He's like, I will shit on gold as opposed to put it in the bank. You know, like that is literally who he is. Yeah. So he is immediate gratification. Like he's he's like, what's a thing I could say? I've seen comics like this. Yeah. You know, like that's a that's a terrible stand up comic who gets on stage and is like, what's the worst thing I could say? It'll get an applause break in the room because mm. everybody here will be stressed out. Well, I'll say that thing. This week's episode of Query is sponsored by Wild Thing. Wild Thing is a rad, gender-smashing feminist fashion brand that's here to take down the patriarchy. I can say patriarchy. 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 Here's the thing about Wild Thing. I actually wear their clothes. Look at my Instagram. I've wore, recently wore a pair of blue pants of theirs to the to Vulture Festival. I recently wore a pair of red velvet pants of theirs to a wedding. They got a store here in Los Angeles. Sales help there is super nice. They have uh, helped me out getting clothes last minute. I called ahead, asked them to pull some sizes. Friends, that's the kind of business this is. They've also got some in-person locations in New York and Portland. But great news, because no matter where you live, they are an online retailer. I almost said realtor. You can't buy a house there. You can buy pants. You can buy button downs. You can buy shoes. You can buy suits. Wildfang.com and use the code query for 25% off. Seriously, just scooch around on that website. I bet you'll find things you like. That's W-I-L-D-F-A-N-G.com and use the code query for 25% off. Today's episode of Query is sponsored by Daily Harvest. With Daily Harvest, you can make picture-perfect meals without trekking to the supermarket and doing any of the work. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. Everything takes just one step and no more than five minutes to prepare. Every single serving cup comes ready to blend or heat. Just add water or milk to a smoothie, heat up a harvest bowl, and enjoy. Here's the thing. Do you work outside of your house and you need to grab something to go? This is the this is the service for you. Daily Harvest Bowl. They got they got breakfast bowls. They got soups. Friends. Do you work in your house and you need uh, something that's super easy? Well, this is also a great option. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter the promo code QUERY to get three free cups in your first box. That's promo code QUERY for three free Daily Harvest cups 
at daily-harvest.com. That's daily-harvest.com. How do you as a comic, um, so I was watching uh, a Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. like probably maybe a year and a half ago. And I am slash was and and, and wrestling with my support of Dave Chappelle, right? Because uh, I remember he was on stage um, talking about trans folks. And he said that um, if trans folks were getting killed the same rate as black men, there would be like a, a war or something. And I was like, you do realize there are black trans folks who have a life expectancy of 35 years of age, right? And then also I'm like, Dave Chappelle is really intelligent, you know? So how do you, as a comic, wrestle with other comics who use the whole like PC thing, right? Because I've heard Dave Chappelle say it. I've heard uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, like all these people who are saying that like we, the general public, are too sensitive, right? Like how do you wrestle with and navigate and just your your simple thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, that is, um, it's a... I don't know if I think it's a justification or a lie. Like, I can't tell mm. exactly which one it is for each individual person. Certainly know the the thing that you're talking about. It's a, and, and it doesn't just exist in comedy, but comedy is so good at using it. This, um, like, I should be free to say whatever I want. And by the way, that's not what anybody's saying. Yeah. Nobody is saying you should not be free to say whatever you want. Like the police are not coming to get you because you told this joke. You're not. Um, I, I'll hear like the word censorship. Like yeah, that's yeah. actually not censorship. Censorship is when like a newspaper is closed down because it says something about the president. Like you're actually talking about your audience paid to see you and doesn't think that your art is up to snuff. Like mm. they don't think that your art has evolved to speak to our cultural norms. They don't, they think that you're talking about an old idea and that that old idea came from fear. And now we actually know trans folks and we actually know the statistics. Yeah. So you can't say that anymore. If you are trying at all to live now, I think another thing that it, it speaks to is like generally kind of that comics age and disconnect from uh, young people. I think yeah. if you're, if you're that famous, you're that wealthy, it's probably very hard to know what's really happening for folks. That's but like, really good. Do you want to sell tickets to 18-year-olds? Because I think you probably do. 18 to 35-year-olds are the, you know, the market that leave their house to yeah. come see you. So, so you should speak this evolving language that young people use. Is that is that they're stuck in a certain place and... And because the world has shifted and they haven't shifted with it, they're holding on to their old ideas and narratives and don't want to evolve with it. So instead of evolving, they bitch and moan about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's, that's truly what I think. I mean, I think the same thing could be said of every person that's on Fox News. It's like, I'm sure you've heard this. Like, like the thing that, that you are saying to me out of your mouth, Fox News anchor, I'm sure is something that was told to you when you were like 10. Yeah, yeah. Have you met nobody since then? Have you never left this studio? Like, have you literally had no other experiences since this one like platitude was sort of yelled at you through a car I window? I think some of that is truthful. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that, as I said earlier, I think it's a lack of proximity. You know, yeah. I believe in, so here's my critique of, so we talked about earlier when I came in, like why I, why I said, um, when you live in California, I said, good luck. Yeah. Right. Um, so I've been living in, in New York City since 2005. I started out living on the Upper East, then went Upper West, back to Upper East, and now I'm in Harlem. This is the first time I've lived in New York City where I haven't been the only black person in my building, mm. right? And what frustrates me about um, the idea that San Francisco, L.A., New York are more liberal, we'll use that word, or more progressive than other places, 
is that it's actually not true when it comes to proximity to each other. Like, like we may ride on trains with each other, but we actually don't live with each other. Like we may actually work with each other, but we actually don't communicate, talk, invest in the lives of each other, right? Just because there is a a Latino woman who may work at the front desk when you walk into your actual building doesn't mean that you actually are deeply invested in their lives, right? So when people say, why do you detest San Francisco? It's because San Francisco, I believe, is probably the whitest city in America, you know, but it's supposed to be this haven of, of, of progressivism, right? But how have we defined progressivism? Like, how have we, because if progressivism means that you vote for Hillary Clinton, but yet black and brown people can't live around you, like, what type of liberalism is, is that, <laughs> I right? I hear that, yeah. And that's what frustrates me about this. So whenever, so I'm from the South, right? And I remember when I moved to the to the north, there was this like, oh man, like you 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 made it out, you know, and I'm like, motherfucker, New York ain't much better. It like there's not that much distance. Actually, there may be no distance. You know, there that are oh man, there's so many things to say to what you're talking. <laughs> well, I'm from Chicago, like I said oh, before. I know the, Chicago so well. Chicago, it, I mean, is um truly, I do not know. Of, I mean, it's the third largest city in the country, and it is ex- it is extremely racially segregated. <sighs> it might be for a sit for a city the like most. like so- size to segregation ratio. Like it might be the most segregated oh, city I'm, in America. I'm confident it is. And um and so like that's where I'm from. Yeah. So I speak to what you know. I, I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. And and it's um I was just there and I had an opportunity to talk to like some folks who do work supporting the LGBT community on the South side. And then also on the North side, North side, mostly white South side, mostly black. And those, and it's amazing. Of course, the staff members at those organizations know each other because they're trying to like bridge a gap, but that doesn't mean anybody in those communities know each other. And I mean, the, the white folks have like uh, very, it's now something that's kind of spoke, spoken about publicly. And so that leads me to believe that there's a shift going on. Because I talked about it on stage when I was in Chicago. But like prior to that, there was also like a sort of like, a, don't bring Southside here to my gay neighborhood. And I'm like, this oh, is yeah. our family. Oh, you know, yeah. like, so to me, this is extremely, there, there are so, there's so much work to be done here. It is why I have very few white gay friends. I'll be just white gay male friends. Yeah. Let me be, be very clear about that. Um, so I, I remember when Ferguson happened, right? So I'm, as I mentioned, I'm in the New York Gay Flag League. And um, it'd be fascinating how, like, there'd be no conversations on their Facebook pages about what's happening wow. to black and brown folks. But as soon as something would happen to the LGBT community, their profile pictures are changing to the, to the flag. I mean, to, to the LGBT yep. flag, right? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like, you are just gay. That's all that you are. And you only see me as gay. That's actually yeah. what what is um what has connected us. I mean, you're just gay, but you're also just gay and and white. I mean, like because t- t- I also think, you know, I and I was thinking about this when you were speaking. One thing that is like truly the greatest privilege in my life right now is that I mean, I really think of queer folks as my family. I really think of the LGBT community as family. And um, so that means that every single thing that happens under this administration is has affected my family. Yeah. Because, they're, because we actually have the 
incredibly unusual opportunity. I know there are other communities that this is true for, I get, like, I don't know if you're like in a union, you know, like whatever, <laughs> but like we, we have the un, unbelievable opportunity. Like we have family members everywhere we go. Yeah. We have family members that are affected by every negative and positive thing. You know, we have family members that have done every job. Like, like to me, that's, you know, where my heart goes right now in this moment is just thinking about, um, yeah, the family that are affected by every new terrible turn. We're, we're recording yeah, this within sad, a couple days of that. I feel sad. I'm going to say something to you that, no, that makes me sad. So tell me. My partner and I, we were driving back from, uh, so I spoke at Cornell on Saturday. And he was just like randomly, he was like, so like out of all your identities, you know, like if, if you were to rank your top four, like what would they be, right? And gay wasn't in my top four. And I think that is, matter of fact, I'm sure it is because I have never, not never, that's not fair, since probably Trayvon Martin, I've felt like that the gay community only cares about gay shit, you know, and, and, and that specifically white gay male shit, right? So it's why, you know, I don't support an HRC type organization. You know, I, um, like very rarely do I engage in in LGBT stuff anymore because I feel that that the community has like, oh, we got same sex marriage, we're done. You know, like the amount of work that if if President Trump had to try to, you know, ban the term gay as he's trying to get rid of what trans folks, the 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 mushroom of 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 whatever that we could have done as a community would have happened. But we've been relatively silent around this issue. You know, we've always been silent around black trans women. You know, and that just makes me so I can't trust this community because it's it's so what it feels like is Chicago back in the sixties, right? That when people of color we're finally like thinking, oh, like we can move up north and there will be safety. And then we get to Chicago and then there's this red line and stuff like it's actually much more sinister when you actually think that these groups of people actually loved, loved you. I thought the gay community loved me and then I found out actually they didn't. And it hurt more than someone yelling the word faggot to me. I mean, it actually hurts more, you know, and I think. There's a, you know, when I talk to my gay black friends, they kind of say the same thing. And it's, and that feels um, more painful because we thought that, oh, this community can, can, can empathize at a certain level. Um, they will love us because we are one of us. But then we found out that anti blackness trumps all. I'm, so, I am so sorry that you have had to feel that way because there is no doubt in my mind that, um, all those feelings are are rooted in like, I mean, not just like it's okay to feel however you want. Literally, like you are correct. You have been left behind. I see that. I am a white person that sees that. I know that that's true in our community. I know that's true historically. And um, I just want to say, like, I mean, and I know this is we're also taping this, but this is just so I'm not I'm not I, I'm like aware of that. But truly, like when you have a moment to say into somebody's face that like you have me, like yeah. I'm on your side, and I know that everything that you're saying is rooted in reality, and I do not think you're exaggerating, and I do not think you're making it up, <laughs> yeah. and I know it's real, and you did get left behind, and you've always been left behind, yeah. and I know that's true, and um, I you know for me what what I will try to work for for the rest of my life is like my motto is like. 
you hold the door open. If yeah, you get yeah. through, you hold the door open. And especially for folks um, that are marginalized in ways that you are not. And so like, I'm on, I'm on your side with this. This Thank is a you. white person who Thank thinks you. that you are totally right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that doesn't so have painful. to even matter. You, no, know? No, yeah, you can throw it in the trash. You <laughs> no, can say I, like, fuck I you and throw it in the trash. No, but it is something it. I'm going to say into your face <laughs> since no, I have the I opportunity. You know, because when I moved to New York City in 05, I was desperate for community. Yeah, And then I met a gentleman named uh, Sid Ziegler who runs a website called Outsports. And Sid was like amazing. Like he, even though we don't agree all the time, he's still a big brother of, of mine. And he got me into the gay league. And there was also a certain level of desperation that, that I had to connect with gay folks. I was like, wow, you know, these gay athletes, blah, yeah. blah. Right. And then like you become a part of this a community, but there's also a curtain that you have yet to peek behind. And then I finally peeked behind that curtain and I realized that, no, that was just all a facade. And then you're like, damn it, they got me again. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, this is, um, I can empathize with what you're talking about yeah. because this is how, you know, I'm a, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. I've been really open about this and like in my career, career, right? R- wrote about it and, you know, talk about it on stage, tell jokes about it, but in a way that like honors, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, my history and, um, Without comparing the two, yeah. I understand the feeling of how can this not matter to you 100%. It's not like it's not like I see people and I go, oh, this doesn't matter to you at all. Well, fuck you. To me, it's like this, ma- this matters so much. This yeah. matters so much, you know, and, and it can feel it feels completely crushing to me right now that folks can continue to, to go through their lives. Folks in comedy can continue to just like get on stage and tell shitty jokes about <sighs> Brett Kavanaugh or that that person can be in our government or that our president, we know exactly who he is and on every single issue, yeah. but we also know what he's done on this issue. And and by the way, also on race, like uh, I, I have, I mean, we know what he the ad he took out about like the Central Park, like yeah. you know, we know who he is, and we don't, and we don't care that much. So, so I will say, the feeling of like thinking, I have a community here, I have a community in comedy, or I have a community in uh, on the left, or like I have yeah. a community on this, but then realizing that people are movable on something that they consider an issue, but you consider your basic human dignity. Exactly, that is, it's very hard. Yeah, and I want to create space for the fact that. Um, not everyone has has done the emotional work, right? You know, and a lot of us are in so much pain, you know, um, that we that we don't want to be that close to it be, be, because it's so painful. So I want to create space for that. But those people, I just can't have in my space consistently. You know what I mean? Like I've just chosen to opt out. Yeah, and, yeah, and, say, and you know what? Yep, you yeah. get to do that. Yeah, I get like, to opt out. You that's know? the thing when you find out that, um, yeah, when you find out that you don't have support, you can put your your body and your energy yeah. and your mind and your love in places where you and do have support. And what's crazy about what we're talking about is like, I don't opt out of any other issue except that one, and I need to think about why that is. You know, like I am so deeply passionate around gender equality and racial equality. I am mm. so deeply passionate around so many other issues. But I think the gay community, I believed them. I think I believed them. And then I found out uh, that 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 not that they lied, right? Because I think lie is the wrong word. But that my agenda didn't align with theirs, you know, and and that their agenda was only based on my gayness, not the wholeness of who of who I was 
And they assumed that that would, would be enough because they saw me as so privileged, mm. right? So, so many times my friends will go, yeah, yeah, but that's happening. But like, you don't experience that. And I'm like, well, actually, if I just like, no one knows, you know, like if I get stopped by a cop, he doesn't know that I'm quote unquote Wade Davis. He's just like, I'm another nigga. You know what I mean? And, um, and that, but they don't see me as that. So they like, that can never like that. People say like, well, that can never happen to you. Right. So in their mind, I have jumped the track. Like I've jumped my blackness into a different space. So I have a certain intellectual understanding of why, of what they're saying, but it just reaffirms the fact that they actually have no real understanding of who I am and what the lives of black and brown folk are really, really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's, um, there's an opportunity when you are somebody who has faced trauma, uh, there's an opportunity to, uh, try to imagine <laughs> that there are other people whose trauma is even worse. Yeah. And I think that's also a way that like the queer community can fail pretty, yeah. pretty consistently is, um, you know, we have this shared trauma around like coming out or like, oh, does my like, does my, my external presentation or like, you know, I was called names or all these things. Um, and like, that's real. And that is real. And then can you imagine someone else has been harmed more or yeah. in a different way. And I think that that's, I mean, again, like when I think about it, something like comedy, like there are, there are so many straight comics who will tell jokes where like, when I was a young kid, I got called like this gay slur. And then I, I always, and it's like a straight guy on stage talking about this and he's telling a joke about it. And I'm like, wait, but do you realize there are literally people in this room who were called that slur and, and it was oh, true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, so you can't imagine that. And then, you know, and then I'm from a community where it's like, there's like pretty much one slur you can call me, you know, like, so I just mean like, <laughs> so I imagine that there are people who can like be called many slurs, you know, like, so I just <sighs> think, I think some of it is also a limit, like a limp- an empathy limit. Like we just yeah. don't, um, we're not going to challenge ourselves enough. There's to- a lot of writing out there about the empathy gap, mm. you know, that there is a gap um, when we don't see ourselves in other people, there's a gap in how much we can empathize with them. And I think part of it is that we actually don't want to, you know, like, why would I want to feel what someone else is really feeling? Like, why would I want to feel that bad? You know, and especially if I'm already feeling as if I'm struggling, like, why do I even want to go even deeper? Totally. But then like, meanwhile, we'll like look at our phones on social media and like consume horrors, you know, horrors upon horrors, but we can't like hear that from another person that we actually know and have a relationship with. So I just feel like, it's also about, you know, trying to restructure even like what we're absorbing, you know? I mean, ah, so many things. I had like so many. Uh, we have, I, number one, I love that we've had like such a good human conversation, but I literally like we're like at 51 minutes and have like a, and you have like a heart out. And I literally didn't even ask, like, how did you get into the NFL? <laughs> like, what was that? Like, like I didn't ask any of these questions, <laughs> but. I do want to ask before we wrap up, which is just going to be in a moment, about sort of when you were open about your sexuality versus when you were playing and how that lined up time-wise. Yeah, so I didn't, so I never told anyone that I was gay while I was playing. And when when I retired in 2004, um, I did not tell anyone I was gay, I believe, until 2006. I could be maybe a couple months off, but I believe it was 2006. And um, the reason I didn't tell them because I hated being gay. I hated it. I hated it so much. I felt like it was unfair that I was an athlete and gay because I had deeply been socialized, believed that gay people can be athletes, you know, um, and that, 
and that I and that being gay had no value. You know what I mean? Um, so then, therefore, I had no no value. I'm grateful that I never got to the point where I was suicidal, right? But the level of internal demoralization and self-hatred was not, not unbearable because I lived through it, but um, flattening. Oh, my God, that's such a good word. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like flattening. Sure. Um, and I should probably explain that for your audience. But like flattening in that moment felt like um, I no longer knew who I was. Therefore, no one else should know who I am either. And, and, and I can just be. But I don't have to become anyone. I don't have to be anything. I'm just going to exist and not live in the world, right? Um, and then I got super lucky. I started working at this LGBT youth center called Hedrick Martin. And it was the first time I was around like LGBTQ kids and they had a light in their eyes and they have a, a ferociousness to live. And they, and I don't want to use the word unapologetic. I think that word's been overused, right? But I think that, that they were just themselves without fear, you know, like, so uh, I'm a bell hooks, like lover. And Bell Hooks talks about how um, we should get rid of the idea of safe space. And, and Bell Hooks says that we have to stand in the circumstance of risk because that's life. You know, like we can ask for a safe space, but we can't stop the weather. You know, if a hurricane rolls through here, I can't even say, I need a safe space. It's just not possible, right? And I think that these young kids embodied that. They knew that inherently. So they said, I'm going to stand in a circumstance of risk because living not my authentic self would be worse than dying because I'd have to live by not being my authentic self. And that changed my life. I was like, oh my God, like these kids are, they're, they're the magic that the world needs to know about. So I decided to come out, out publicly because I knew that I could tell their stories or I could create the conditions for them to tell their own stories. And feminism and those young people, they didn't save my life because that's, that's too grand, right? But they changed it. Like they changed fundamentally who I was and how I thought about myself and how I thought about what I could do in 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 the world. That is beautiful. That was a beautiful answer. I want to ask you before I send you back into your day, because it is we've truly like <laughs> just talked through it. Um if you could shout out a queero. Um and so, so many. I know Can I shout out multiple? Sure, yeah. So Lillian Rivera, um, she was my boss at Hedrick Martin. She um, has been a huge impact on my life. Erica Cardwell, um, Julia Stern, Bryson Rose, Teak Milan, Bali, um, uh, Darnell Moore are the people who, when I was at Hedrick Martin, who really impacted me. And then I'll say the person who I think... in. Um, who, I, who I've never met, in fact, me the most, has been James Baldwin. There's, um, James Baldwin has, has helped me become a better critical thinker. And that's what I really appreciate him, him for, yeah. Wade, you're, um, 
so you're so great to talk to. Like, I really Thank appreciate you. your honesty and um, how you brought your whole self in here today. <laughs> I'm fucking serious. Don't what are we what are we doing if we're not looking at each other's eyes and like saying the goddamn truth right yeah, now? Yeah. We are wasting each other's time. Yeah. So thank you so much for being like so open, thank so you for honest. Having me, family. Yeah, yeah. And I'll come back so we can spend more time where I don't have okay. a heart out. You got it. You All got right. it, fam. Thank Bye. you. Check out Wild Fang, a feminist fashion brand that's here to take down the patriarchy and is committed to giving back. Wild Fang is female-founded and women-run, offering gender-smashing styles that borrow from the boys. A percentage of each purchase at wildfang.com goes to charity, and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to fight for your rights. Go to wildfang.com and use the code QUERY for 25% off. That's W-I-L-D-F-A-N-G.com. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Ah, uh, yes. I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. Ah! Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah.